Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? No, my lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things since the seven eyes of the Lord that reigns throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. Then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? Again, I asked him, what are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? He replied, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I said. So he said, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, beloved. Well done. Good morning. Um, before we jump in, you know, I'd love to just spend a minute praying for Maui. Can we do that? I just actually got an um, uh, email from one of our family, Grace families this morning who were there on vacation and are still there, and just getting a little bit of a glimpse through their eyes of what's going on over there, and I know you all have been thinking about that. I mean, this is this, for most of us, it represents this, like, our favorite vacation spot, you know, but these are um, obviously these towns and homes that are historic and that um, is so sad um, to watch what's going on, and so I thought we could just take a moment to pray for that community and all the all the thousands and hundreds of thousands of lives that are in one way or another impacted by what's going on. So let me pray for them. Well, Lord, we want to just, we don't even know how to, I mean, these things are so big when something so big and devastating like that happens, as it does in this world, um, it's hard to even know how to pray. But I just pray, as we talk about your spirit today, I pray that your spirit would rest on the people of Maui. I think of people who've lost loved ones, um, uh, people who've lost their homes, their businesses, uh, really everything, every physical thing they own, Lord. And we just ask for your spirit to move and to comfort and to encourage. I pray for those who, who believe in you there, that your spirit would work through them, that they would be uh, just an example of your love and your sacrifice and your service and your compassion. And for those who don't know you there, Lord, that somehow this would be impactful in a way that would draw them to you, that they would, they would come to understand you and to know your grace through the worst of times. Um, and we pray for everything that just goes from here, all the, the rebuild, um, all the organization, all the, just the lives that have to be um, pieced back together, Lord. Um, it's just overwhelming. 
And so we ask that somehow you work. We pray that you work in this, the, the government leaders there and that you give them a good organization moving forward and that you would um, establish the work of their hands, really. And so we, our hearts go out, Lord, and um, yeah, we just ask for you to work in ways that um, can only happen by your spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we are uh, almost finished with our series through the Minor Prophets. Uh, next week we'll fin finish with the final one. We'll look at Malachi, but today we have the second to last, um, not in importance, but in order, uh, Zechariah. And so let me just kind of get you inside of this. I don't know if anything you just heard and read made any sense to you. I imagine not a ton, but we'll make sense of it, and I actually want to keep it fairly simple today. The year is about 520 BC, and we're looking at post-exilic. Israel, meaning this is after Israel had been conquered by Babylon, had gone into captivity in Babylon, and then had returned from captivity to come back to their land and to try to rebuild it. Um, honestly, much like the people of Maui will have to come and rebuild this. They're, they're coming back into a land that had been devastated, and they're going to try to rebuild. And so it's, a, it's an exciting time because they're back, but it's also a very daunting time. And during this time, God raises up several prophets like Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi to encourage the people in their spirits and to encourage them to rebuild, especially to rebuild God's temple. And uh, so Zechariah is one of those prophets, and I'll just tell you, as you, as you heard in chapter 4, this is the wildest of all the minor prophets. Like if you, um, if you want to have weird dreams, okay, read Zechariah. There's just vision after vision. He's been given visions and this angel comes to him and explains the visions. It feels very Revelation-esque, okay? The most kind of wild imagery of all the prophets. And in the first half of the book, he, he has eight visions. And the two central visions are chapters three and chapter four. And he has a vision for each of the two major leaders of the time, chapter three to Joshua, who was like going to be the new high priest at the time. And then our chapter, chapter four to Zerubbabel, who was the civic leader, who's the governor uh, of this new nation. And in each case, there's a, there's a vision given to encourage them in the work that they have ahead of them. So I want to look at this, this, uh, this message to Zerubbabel and... Um, who Scott told me was going to rebuild the rubble of the temple. Um, my friend Scott Owen is the best wordplay expert I know. Um, we can talk more about that uh, later. Um, but I want to actually talk about Zerubbabel. I want to introduce you to this guy who you probably know nothing about. Okay? So he's the governor of this returned nation. And uh, there's the name if you want to see it. Zerubbabel. Um, I call him Z. We're on that, that kind of terms. But um, if you look at the second half of the word, you'll see that word, what? Babel. Yes. And Zerubbabel means born at Babel. So here's a guy who is Jewish, but he was born in Babel. He was born in exile, born in captivity, born as an enslaved person in the massive Babylonian empire. But he is the grandson of King Jehoiakim, who was one of Israel's last kings before they went into exile. So he comes from the Davidic kingly line. He has royal blood within him, but he is a child of captivity. So he grows up in a, in a foreign land like, like uh, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those stories? He's one of, like, he grows up in a foreign land with all the hopes, uh, the Jewish hopes of being able to return to the promised land one day. And then 
God works a miracle and those hopes come true. The Persian Empire conquers the Babylonians and the Persian King Cyrus has a policy where he allows these enslaved people to return to their uh, ancestral lands. And so Zerubbabel gets to lead Israelites back into the promised land, okay? Uh, born at Babel, gets to return, and he's got, you know, royal blood coursing through his veins. And um, so there's a lot of expectation around this guy, right? Could this, this, is, could this be the, the king? Could this, could this be the king that we've been looking for? Uh, and there's also a tremendous challenge facing him. I mean, how, how, do you, how do you rebuild a kingdom? How do you re-inspire a people? How do you actually literally <laughs> rebuild uh, a, a city and then a country? And what had happened is 19 years before this, they'd come back into the land and they had started the rebuild and they'd started to rebuild God's temple. And they got through with the foundations, I talked about this two weeks ago, and then something happened. Uh, they, they met some external challenges and the external challenges were this, the Samaritans, okay? So the Samaritans opposed the rebuilding of the temple. We've all heard about the Samaritans, but we've never really known why do the Jews and Samaritans hate each other so much in Jesus' time, and here's why. The Samaritans were the Jews who were left behind during the exile, and they intermarried with other kind of nations and became sort of a mixed crew. And so they were there, and then the, then the Jews come back, and they didn't like, they didn't want them to rebuild, they didn't want the Jews to kind of gain power, and so they opposed the rebuilding of, of the temple. So that's where the, blood, the bad blood kind of started between them. Uh, and then the people just kind of lost steam on the rebuild, and, um, and they scrapped the project, and it sat, the temple lay dormant for 19 years, just, just foundations, and the people focused on their own homes and their own crops, and like, hey, we got, we got enough to do on our own without trying to rebuild this temple. So God starts raising up prophets like Zechariah to say, no, you guys need to rebuild this temple. We talked about this in Haggai. And so I just, that's where, where Z finds himself, okay? And I just want you to, to imagine what his life was like, how, how, um, how challenging leadership would have been in that moment. Um, he has external challenges. He has... He has the Samaritans. He has the, the hearts of the people, the, the people not really being motivated uh, to do things. So he's, got a, he's trying to figure out, how do I motivate these people? How do I do this? And then he's got his own, whatever his own internal challenges would have been. I can imagine leadership would have been a lonely place in that time, having to make difficult decisions, um, questions about, do I have what it takes to do this? Do I have the, 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 the will, the, the competency? Am I, am I who I'm supposed to be? Does... does Born at Babel, have what it takes to lead these people in this time. You feel that? Feel the weight on this man. And I imagine he was, after 19 years, tired, weary, overwhelmed. He needed to be encouraged. And so I want to, just before I share what the encouragement is in this passage, I just want just to stop right there and just ask you, where, where is there a place in your life where you can identify <laughs> with where I think Zerubbabel was. Where are you weary right now? What, what is a situation or a, an aspect of your life right now where like, I am, I am overwhelmed in that. This, uh, this feels like a mountain in front of me that I don't know how I'm going to climb. Where are you tired? Where, do you, where are you like, I don't know, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. Uh, that might be a responsibility you've got right now. It might be a responsibility at work or 
um, trying to take care of kids or trying to take care of your parents that just feels really daunting, feels like a mountain. Um, maybe there's an inner uh, issue. You've got grief in front of you that is exhausting or anxiety or depression. Maybe there's a relationship right now that feels um, really challenging. It's a marriage, it's a child, it's a friend, it's a roommate, it's a coworker, it's a boss. Uh, maybe there's a physical challenge, chronic pain, cancer, just ongoing health issues, or just plain getting old. <laughs> right? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Maybe there's a sin. Maybe there's addiction in your life that you're like, I cannot figure out how to get this. I cannot get over this thing. It just has me. I, I'm, I'm tired of it, uh, and I can't, I can't win. <laughs> it keeps winning. I want you to just kind of sit in that. What, what, where in your life right now do you realize, oh, just this feels hard? And that's where, that's where Zerubbabel was. Life was tough and challenging. So here's the message uh, to Zerubbabel in chapter four. Uh, God has a very simple message for him. Uh, I have a very simple message for you this, this morning. Uh, God uh, has a vision to give Zechariah to give to Zerubbabel. So there's a vision and then there's a word. So let's look at the vision again. Uh, look at verse uh, two. The angel comes to Zechariah. What do you see? And he answers, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. All right, so he gets a vision of a lampstand. In Hebrew, the word is menorah. Okay? And we all know, we have all are familiar with that. A, a seven, uh, whatever, lighted lampstand. It's a menorah. Uh, and menorahs were, those were things that were in the temple. So um, that's where you found menorahs in that day, in the temple. And so that makes sense because this vision has to do with the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, but there's something about this menorah, this lampstand, that's very unique. And let me show you an image of uh, one author's sort of rendition of this, of what we're, being, we're seeing. So um, obviously you've got olive oil that um, lights these candles back then. And this one has a bowl at the top, and it's tapped into two olive trees. And so, um, now we know that actually olive oil doesn't come from the sap of olive trees, right? It comes from the olives, but that's the great thing about visions. You can kind of play with them a little bit, and which is what Zachariah's seeing. So, um, what's happening is uh, olive oil is coming from these trees and constantly um, providing oil for this lampstand. And, you know, in the temple, one of the things that the priests had to do constantly is, of course, replace the oil. They cut the wick, uh, replace the oil, constantly replacing the oil. And this lampstand is very unique but it, it, because it has this eternal supply of oil. It's tapped into an, an, ol a, an olive tree that is constantly giving it oil so that it can, it can be supplied with everything it needs so that it can, it can light and, and give light the way it's supposed to. So that image makes sense to you? Yeah. So um, then the angel says, what does this mean? And, and Zechariah's like, I'm hoping you're going to tell me that, right? And this is what this means. Verse 6, the angel said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, 
but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. This is what this means. Just as this menorah has an endless supply of olive oil because it's tapped into these trees, it will never run out, so also, I want Zerubbabel to know this, my spirit is going to supply you with everything you need to lead in this time, and especially in this case, to rebuild this temple. It feels like a mountain of a task. But my spirit is going to give you everything you need to accomplish that task. It will be an endless supply. You are going to get a resource that is beyond human power and beyond human might. That resource will be my very spirit, my own presence and power supplying for you what you can't supply for yourself and what you need in order to accomplish this task. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. In Hebrew, that word is ruach, and we've talked about that word. It means spirit, or life, or breath. And even Old Testament Jews would know about God's ruach. God's ruach that was there at the beginning of creation in Genesis 1, when it says the world was formless and void, right? And darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the ruach of God was hovering over the waters. And then God's ruach moves in creation. It's, you know, it's, it's the, the creative power of God unleashed, creating this world that we have. They, of course, would know the story of the Exodus, where Israel was fleeing from the Egyptians, and they come up against the Red Sea, right? And they're stuck, and there's nothing they can do. And then it says God sent his ruach to blow on the Red Sea and created a way where there hadn't been a way. They would know the story of Ezekiel and the exile story. Ezekiel saw this vision of Israel. They were like these dry bones in a desert, just these dried up, imagine skeleton dry bones in a desert. And it represented the, the people of Israel at the time who were dead, they were in exile, they were hopeless. And then in that vision, God sends his ruach to breathe on these bones and they start to get connected and, and sinews join and they become enfleshed like people again as God's spirit breathes on them and they become this vast army and ultimately God brought them out of exile. So they would understand God's ruach as, as the power and presence of God to do what no human power or no human might can do. And this is the encouragement to Zerubbabel, my spirit will bring this about, and it will not fail. We sang that song, he won't fail, <laughs> right? My spirit will not fail you. You will never run out for you, Zerubbabel. My spirit will accomplish through you what needs to be accomplished. Look at verse seven. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. The, the mountain there is a figurative mountain. This, this, this task of rebuilding the temple that would have felt just overwhelming, but what are you? God can, God's spirit can level that. Then he will bring out the, uh, look at that second half of verse seven. Then he, Zerubbabel, will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. I did look up, what's a capstone? I couldn't remember. I know what a cornerstone is. I couldn't remember what the capstone is. Uh, I found out. The capstone is like the, the last stone you put up on a building project that brings the whole thing together. And God is saying, Zerubbabel, one day you are going to lift that capstone 
this, on this temple project to shouts of God bless it, God bless it, because it'll be clear that God has been the one who has accomplished this task and it will be seen on that day and it's as good as done. This is what's going to happen because my spirit is gonna bring this about for my glory. All right, make sense? Very encouraging words to this, I think, very weary man. All right, one last thing in this passage uh, that I wanna point out. Um, look at verse eight and... Um, Well, let me just read it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Um, Okay, so this might be super obvious to you. Um, You guys are smarter than I am. It was not obvious to me. But I I thought that's an interesting thing to say. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid this foundation and his hands will also complete it. Um, because he just said, just this verse before he said, hey, Zerubbabel, my spirit's gonna do this. My spirit's gonna be the one who does this. And now he's saying, actually, Zerubbabel, <laughs> your hands are gonna do this, right? You're, you're, you will accomplish this. And so I, I was thinking, in saying that his spirit is gonna do this, it, it's not like a, um, it's not like a, a Mary Poppins a spoonful of sugar moment where God, you know, does this and the temple just kind of builds itself, right? It's not the, um, we're all into Harry Potter right now. It's not like the Hogwarts flick of a wand and the room just kind of comes back together. This is not something that God is going to miraculously just do. No, Zerubbabel's going to do this. His hands will lay this. In fact, everything that's required for a building project, he will have to do. He'll have to raise the funds. He will have to get the supplies. He will have to motivate the people. And of course, they will have to actually build this thing. So human blood, sweat, and tears are going to go into the the building of this temple. Human power and human might are going to be used to build this temple. So when God says, not by power, nor by might, but by my spirit, I assume what he means is not by human power alone, not by human might alone, but by my spirit. My spirit is the definitive power in this. But my spirit, of course, is going to work through your leadership and through your actions and your hard work and your sacrifice. But my spirit is is really the motivating force and ultimately the power that guarantees this will be accomplished. But of course, you're going to have to do a lot of work here. And I was just thinking about how, how, um, how consistent that idea is with, with the, the, how the New Testament talks about how we partner with God in our lives and doing the things that we're, we're called to do. Um, think of Philippians 2. Paul says, therefore, my dear friends, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? You got, there's work, human power, human might, but in the very next breath he says, for it is God who works in you, not only to want to do the thing, but then to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So you're doing your work, but underneath that, God is actually working through your work. Or one more, Paul describes his own experience. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace was, was, to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all the other apostles. And I think everyone would agree, Paul was the hardest worker for the gospel of any of the apostles. He's like, I worked harder than anybody. Blood, sweat, and tears. And then he goes on in the next breath to say, yet actually, it, it wasn't actually me. It was God's grace working in me. Yes, I worked, but I see that it was God's grace that was the animating force even through and within my work to accomplish the things I was supposed to accomplish. All that to say, this is the message to Zerubbabel 
And the message to us today, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, meaning yes, your might is required. Yes, your power is required. But underneath that, Zerubbabel, grace, trust that my spirit is working and my spirit is the definitive factor that will bear fruit in your life. So, I guess I, I want to kind of keep this simple and just end by asking you, um, where do you need to hear that word? Any of us that have grown up in the church know this verse, not by might nor by power, but my, by my spirit. But I want you to pause and ask yourself, where, gosh, is there a place where I desperately need to hear that word from God? Like, I need to hear God speak that word into my life right now. Um, I need to be reminded that he is here to help me, <laughs> that his spirit is present in, in ways where I really need him and where I, I don't have uh, what it takes. Or here's another way to answer a question would be, where is your heart most ready to hear that? Like, oh, that, my, heart, my heart is ready. It's been primed to hear that simple. God say, my spirit's with you. My spirit can do what you cannot do in and through and for yourself. Where, where does your imagination need to be captivated by, by this picture of being tapped in to the spirit of God? I was thinking, um, Jesus, he uses a very similar analogy to this. Right? I mean, he was so led by the Spirit. He was so tapped in, if I can use that phrase, to the Spirit. And at the end of his life, he has this analogy that's very similar to this. It goes like this. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Remain in me, stay connected to me, and you will bear fruit. And then he says this, apart from me, you can do nothing, right? That's not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit. That's his version, that apart from me, you can do nothing. But remain in me, and you will bear much fruit because not by might nor by power but by my spirit working through you. I was reminded this week of the, the old saying that says the gospel is not good advice. It's good news. And I just want to remind you that, that that is true. The gospel is not good advice. It is good news. And it's the good news of what God has done through Jesus Christ for us and what God is doing through his spirit in us. It is not a, uh, a, a self-improvement project. It is not five steps to a better life. It is news. It is declaring this is reality. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, his spirit lives in you, and he will accomplish in you what you cannot accomplish for yourself. It is not good advice. It is good news. And I just want to remind you, you are spirit people. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are people of the spirit, and the same spirit that dwelt in Zerubbabel enabled him to accomplish this task. The same spirit that dwelt in Jesus and enabled him to love and speak truth and have courage. That same spirit is in you. Uh, we sang it, um, even when I don't feel it, you're working, right? Even when I don't see it, you, you're working. You never stop working. And so I want to remind you, his spirit never stops working in you. And if you are connected to Jesus, his spirit 
is in you. And the motto of the Christian life is this, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. (laughs) Blessed are everyone who says, my spirit doesn't have what it takes. Thank God I have your spirit. (laughs) Right? That's the starting point of the Christian life. So where do you need to hear that this morning? I want to leave you with um, a question and a verse. Uh, The question is, actually, let me put that back up. It's kind of helpful. Um, Here's the question that I have. I love that picture of being tapped into the Holy Spirit and having him flow through me and move through me. Here's my question. How do I tap into the Spirit? If that's that's how life works in in the Christian life, how do I actually do that? And... um, (laughs) And the gospel's not good advice. I don't, I, there's no, here's the five-step tap into the spirit process. Um, the gospel answer is good news, and it's frustratingly vague. And here's the gospel answer. You tap into the spirit by faith. God pours out his spirit on you as you trust in him. And what is faith? It is simply looking to him. Faith is is uh, taking these clenched hands that deeply want to control and manufacture and, and do our own thing and slowly letting those go and say, God, I need you to do things that I can't do for myself. Faith is like, faith is this container, <laughs> if I can put it that way, um, through which God's spirit is given to us. God gives us his spirit as we trust in him. This is how we do it. It's not a three-stepper, right? And faith isn't even a step. Faith is kind of like an anti-step. It's like stop doing things. Stop trying to control your life. Stop trying to figure out and start trusting him. Abandon yourself to him. Just look to him and say, there's nothing going on here that's going to work. God, I need you. That is faith. That is how we are filled with the spirit. To say live by faith and to say walk in the spirit, those are two different ways of saying the exact same thing. This is it's just two different ways of describing the same life. Live by faith, walk in the spirit. <laughs> the same thing. Here's the verse I want to leave you with that talks about the connection with the spirit and faith. This is Galatians 3. Paul is very frustrated with the Galatians in this book, if you don't know that. Uh, and he asks, I got a question for you guys. Did you receive the spirit by observing the law, by working? Or did, how did you receive the spirit? By believing what you've heard. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? You started with faith. You got the Spirit by faith. Now what are you doing? Does God supply His Spirit current in your lives today? Does God supply His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law? Or because you believe what you've heard? Paul's saying, no, you receive the Spirit by faith. That's how you received him in the beginning. That's how he continues to fill your life as you trust in him. And I was just thinking back this week when I first kind of gave my life to Jesus. I was 20 years old. And I want you to think about whatever those, that, that moment for you or those, that season or those pivotal moments for you were. And I was thinking back to that time. And what defined that time for me and what defined it was faith. Like God, would, I, I trusted God. I realized I, I can't do my life on my own. I can't figure the, the universe out on my own. God, I'm going to start trusting you. 
and God's spirit started moving. And I started expecting God to fill in the gaps for me. I started expecting God to speak to me. And he started speaking to me. <laughs> he would take words of scripture and just like impress them on my heart. And he opened my eyes to his creation. I started expecting um, encounters with people that would be spirit-led and they kind of started happening. But God, I just, God was moving and I, I was trusting. And Paul's like, that's how your relationship always works. It starts with faith and it continues with faith. You don't graduate from that simple trust. Like, hey, I know when I first came to Jesus, I just trusted God, but now I'm more mature. And now I'm, I'm making this thing work on my own efforts. He's like, no. The way it started is the way it continues. It's the way it goes. It is, it is by faith from first to last. And so that's what we're called to is this trust. That's what Zerubbabel was being called to. Trust me, Zerubbabel. I've got this. I'm going to take care of this. My spirit is going to take care of this. You can trust me in that. So I want to leave you with that. And I want to take you back again. When I asked you earlier, where are you weary? Where are you overwhelmed? And I, I wanted to take you there because I want to suggest um, those, those are the hardest parts of your life, right? But those are also the places where you're most ready to trust. Because those are the places where um, maybe you've been beaten down enough or that illusion of control is being stripped away from you. You're like, oh, actually, I, I can see, like, my heart is primed. I'm kind of, like, forced to trust <laughs> in this area. And, of course, God wants us to trust him in every area. But those are the places where God is, like, waiting for us be like, God, I just, I'm so tired. I just can't do this anymore. And he's like, I've just been waiting for you to say that. And now I'm ready. Now you're ready, actually, to receive more of my spirit, to surrender to me, and let me do what you now finally realize you cannot do. So I leave you with that. Where is it that your, your heart is ready to say, God, I just want to start trusting you. I need your spirit because I'm so aware now that this is not by my might nor by my power. It is by your spirit. So let me pray for us. Father, I pray that the simple gospel would be made real to us this morning even as we take communion in a few minutes. Uh, the gospel that we can't and that you can and that we are invited to let you, to surrender to you, to trust you. The gospel that your spirit is the one who bears fruit in our lives. Not our own efforts, not our own self-improvement projects, not our own um, frantic attempts for control. God, would you grant us faith today in the places where we most need it, to trust you. And I pray your spirit would work, would move and breathe, your ruach would breathe new life where there is discouragement, where there is anger, where there is uh, conflict, where there is um, anxiety. Would you just like breathe into those caverns and bring your encouragement, your hope, your comfort, your courage, your love, your truth, and your grace, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.